Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 297 from Frigid, Tirana, Ontario. Home of Cody Saftik, former home of me. And I'm, I imagine, Cody, you're probably going to the event this weekend. And uh, if anybody's there, say hi to Cody. Thank him for a PRP hit. Be nice to him. That type of thing. Yeah, there's a unified card on the Friday. Dana White's going to be there shooting a looking for a fight episode. So if you want to come down to the unified card on the Friday, I'll be there as well. But uh, action-packed weekend for Torontonians, I suppose. But got slammed this winter. And let me tell you something, right? When I talk to Americans, especially, a lot of the times it's like, oh, man, Canada. Like, you guys are... You guys are like sub-degree temperature, and you guys live in igloos, and your pet beaver, and I- I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's all the cliches. And then the one time that these people will come visit Canada, they get slammed with this awful weather, and basically all the things that they thought about Canada are extremely true, so... Uh, feel bad, but this is going to affect guys that are cutting weight. This is going to affect guys that are not used to it. Some guys that are coming from a lot warmer climates where now you got to get your core temperature up. Yeah, you're indoors. Yeah, you're in a sauna. Yeah, you're all that stuff. But then you're still in a different climate. You're still in a different environment. It's still going to affect the body differently. So this is like one of the few times I've, I've seen a card in the UFC where it's like Canadians look like they'll have a good night. And hopefully they do. I hope they go in, out there and get the wins. We've said that a lot of times in the past. It's been a while, obviously, this- since they've touched down in Canada, but yeah, my God, his history has told us can Canadians fall when the cards come to Canada, unless the judges get a little bit a little bit sketchy, which is known to happen as well. And we're sorry for that, but uh, yeah, I'll, we can't I'll, hold I'll it against the commission. You never really, really see this many Canadians on a card, I don't think. Like, I mean, we got 12 fights. I believe nine of them have at least one Canadian fighter. The Arnold Allen fight trains in Canada, so we'll, we'll take them as our own for this matchup, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty well, like, got all of our best guys. Not everybody. I, was, I would have liked to have seen, like, a Kyle Nelson, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, this is a pretty solid offering, and it's cool, right? It's, it's kind of like a full circle moment, whereas you, you work with a lot of these guys on the regional scene, you know, Siri City's on the card, and, uh, you, you know, Mike Malott's on the card. Like, you'll help build these guys up, and then now they're in the UFC, and they're fighting on a pay-per-view. And the only one knock is, this is two things. It is the greatest, and I mean the greatest, Canadian regional scene card in history. Yeah. And it's also one of the worst pay-per-views that you're ever going to see. So, eh, I'm a Canadian fight fan. I love it. I can see how other people might not want to shell up the money for this offering. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's basically like UFC. It's like UFC Moncton. Um, I don't think they've went to Moncton yet. But There's probably good reason why they haven't <laughs> went to Moncton. But it's yeah, it's UFC Moncton with two title fights slapped on top. And frankly, like you know, one of the title fights people aren't exactly jazzed up about. Which I, which brings me to the next point. Something that I'm not necessarily all that jazzed up about. Marcus McGee. Maybe this is kind of crazy. He kind of reminds me. I, I was dead wrong. Dead wrong. Um, he beat him, beat Gaston on the feet. I owe you a shoey. Uh, nice little cold stream. Iced tea, raspberry iced tea out of a, a cheater boot. It, it does really match the boot. The color scheme is is on point. But yeah, Marcus McGee kind of oh, reminds geez. me of like, because he's a little bit older, you know, coming into his own. He kind of reminds me of like bantamweight Jared Cannonier. 
with better submission skills, of course. But like that pressure, that athleticism, the guy's obviously a freaking tank. Pretty impressed. We'll see where that guy can go from here. But, uh, you know, Gaston's a pretty good striker. It's like he was not scared whatsoever. He just walked the man down and absolutely pummeled him. So props to him. Credit where credit's due. Down the hatch for me. Yeah, two things on that. So Gaston Balanus is an elite-level Muay Thai fighter, and I think it's like, oh, there's such good strikers. But if you watch any of those, like, one championship events, like those one Friday nights in Thailand, and they're doing Muay Thai, the only difference is with MMA gloves on, these Thai guys can't lose in a Muay Thai fight, and they cannot win when there's MMA gloves on. Like, the defense is different, so... Yeah, the fact that McGee went out there and un- outstruck Bolanos, it's like, oh, man, does that make him an elite-level striker? Yeah, I think he's a solid striker, but it's the the small gloves make these world-class kickboxers and Muay Thai guys look a little vulnerable. Second thing is McGee for, was on him last weekend. Great, was on him the weekend before that. I don't think I had him over Jeremy Newsom, uh, so I can't say I've ridden him in all three of his fights, but shockingly, he's come out of left field. As you mentioned, he's 33 years old, but he's only been fighting pro for four years, less than four years as a pro. Uh, he was a skateboarder. He was a snowboarder. His wins on the regional scene are over just the worst guys going. And yet he, he just pops up in the UFC and hits a hot three-fight winning streak. And his first win, he gets a $50,000 bonus. He buys a Rolex because he's like, I always want a Rolex. This guy's pretty cool. His second win, $50,000 bonus. Now this win over Bolanos, $50,000 bonus. Good for Marcus McGee, man. Like This is like his second career and he is thriving. So uh, happy to take one over you this time, Paul. I mean, hey, came. Out, I mean, sim- similar. You're you're just sign or you're just saying all the things like, like in terms of like the Cannoneer uh, comparison. And and they're out of Cannoneer the came out of nowhere. Right? He MMA sucked. Lab. He came yeah. from he came from uh, Alaska FC. He was like a bloated up heavyweight. Lost. Looked horrible. And then all of a sudden, just got like turbo nuke turbo nuka jacked at like 185 pounds and just like. Guy's a problem. Guy's a problem. But yeah, no, he kind of reminds me. His style reminds me a lot of him. At least his like his striking. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think there's too many guys that are going to be like wanting to sign the dotted line uh, in the top fifteen against Marcus McGee. Uh, it's pretty impressive. It's hard. Uh, this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prizepicks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to one hundred dollars on your first deposit. Why don't we get into the main event, Cody? How do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 50-50 fight. I think everyone's excited about it. The one thing that I'm going to say, right, is as we talked about, maybe it's a little bit of a weak pay-per-view card. And I'm not entirely sure that them fighting in the crowd wasn't a little bit set up. Certainly having them sit next to each other is set up. And no one's going to buy this pay-per-view. No one really cares about it. The co-main event's soft. Uh, The... I, I just don't think the numbers were probably trending all that well. And they have a main event that is a very good main event, but how do they make that one singular main event sell an entire pay-per-view? Well, they just need that added little bit of bonus. So, I don't know, you sit them next to each other, they get into a fight. In that one little skirmish, it's like Strickland hits him twice, and Drake is actually takes on Strickland down. He ends up on top of him, and then they just get pulled apart. If Sean was to come and fight super emotional and just be like, I hate this guy, I'm just going to go out there and sling bombs, Drykus is going to have openings, right? Sean has spectacular defense. If he throws that out the window, that'll play to Drykus. Drykus has got super underrated wrestling, very physically strong, and might be able to take down Sean Strickland and do some damage. And it would help if Sean's being an idiot just walking forward. But I don't think it actually has that level of hatred. I don't think these guys actually hate each other. 
I think this is two gentlemen who know they're going to get into a combative affair, and they're trying to sell some pay-per-views. So, good live betting opportunity for Sean Strickland, and I think Sean Strickland wins. I think Dreykus gives him all types of problems early, but if you look at Dreykus throughout his career, generally, this is not a guy that goes to decision. I think he's only been the the full rounds, like, I want to say four or five times in his career. And two of his losses are third round TKOs where he gets tired and then gets finished down the stretch. There's a number of instances. You watch the tape study on him. There's a number of instances where he's just dead dog tired in these fights. He might find a way to win, but the body language isn't quite there. Yeah, maybe you can catch a second win in a three round fight. Yeah, maybe this insane pressure you've put on the guy will also leave him tired like Derek Brunson. But Strickland, that's kind of one of his weapons, is that he conserves his energy extremely well. He figures that he can definitely fight 25 minutes. You've seen him do it. The vast majority of his fights go the distance. He can throw a tremendous amount of strikes. And yeah, he's got solid takedown defense. So even if Dreykus does have this perceived wrestling advantage, he's going to have to outmuscle him. He's going to waste a ton of energy doing it. It's not going to be easy taking Sean down. And if Sean gets back up, again, it's what is Dreykus going to do? I do it again, do it again, do it again. Then he gets tired. When he gets tired... Sean starts to overwhelm him. So it's a 50-50 fight pre-flop. Like Sean's a minus-125 favorite. He's like the ever-so-slight favorite. And he's champion, right? So champion gets the slight nod. But again, to me, Sean's a guy that's proven that he can fight down the stretch. If the narrative on him is he's some poor kid that was abused and this and that. Well, this poor kid that was abused just beat Israel Adesanya, won a world title, made his dreams happen, has millions of dollars. You think he's willing to give this up? You think he's willing to go back to the old days? Not that he's ever going to. Do you think he's willing to give this up? No, he's going to come super motivated, in great shape. His teammate Chris Curtis is on the card. They've already been in Toronto for a week now, getting uh, acclimated to the surroundings. I think it's a good fight. It's a good fight that Sean Strickland wins down the stretch. So my pre-fight bet is Sean, because I think he wins. But I think this is a good live betting opportunity, as I mentioned, because if Dreykus gives him hell for the first round, the first round and a half, the first two rounds, then you might get a much better number on Sean, who you know for sure is going to fight for your dollar and go for it. Last thing is, yeah, Dreykus can hit very hard as well. So does he catch Sean with something? Sean's inbred, man. He can take one a hell of a punch. Like, unless you got a spinning hook kick up your back sleeve, or unless you're Alex Pereira cutting 45 pounds to make the weight class, like, yeah, those instances, maybe Sean gets caught. But against Dreykus, I feel like durability is not a problem for me. Like, I'm not I'm not super con- uh, concerned about it. So, yeah, got to roll with Sean Strickland to defend the title. I think Dreykus is super, super alive here. It's not a fight that I feel too, too confident in betting, to be perfectly honest. I do worry that, like, you know, I mean, Strickland's coming off of, like, an all-time best performance of his career. Going tit for tat, standing with Adesanya, who, I mean, everybody was like, how is Strickland, you know, just like a typical MMA boxer going to go tit for tat with one of the most technical strikers in UFC history? And he did just that, just kind of pressured him, threw up volume. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. It's pretty. I think early, early in this fight, the power that Trickus brings, the wrestling abilities at least that he could potentially have. I'm not entirely sold on the fact that like Trickus is going to be able to take Strickland down. I mean, the best wrestling performance of his career in the UFC was against Darren Till. He took him down six times, but it's like, yeah, it was Darren Till, Cody. You strap, you'd strap a, a wrestling headset and uh, and a freaking unitard on him. He'd probably take Darren Till down at least three times. And like Darren Till's got like at least two to three weight classes on you. Um, obviously we joke, we joke. Darren Till would kick both of our asses. Don't 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 be uh, don't get it twisted. But 
Um, Jerkis does really, really worry me in the first two rounds. Um, I think the way I would attack this fight is like if you want to, if you want to play the prop game, um, like a Jerkis round one KO at ten to one is out there on the market right now. Jerkis KO at like plus three hundred is available. Don't mind that or the Strickland late props. Um, at uh, I haven't even looked at the numbers on those, but um, I see a fifteen to one Strickland round four or round four is fifteen to one Strickland round five is twenty one. At the end of the day, I'm going to come around full circle and agree with you. It's one of those like if Drickus doesn't get him out of there early, the way that Sean sets a pace, it could be kind of, kind of like Abus Magomedov. Um, two fights ago for Sean Strickland. Strickland had a horrible first round. Absolutely got like throttled, ate a whole bunch of big shots, but it's just like there was a moment in time. And I'm not saying that Drickus is going to quit on himself, fall apart as drastically as Abus Magomedov did. But when we get into round three and Strickland's put up 150 significant strikes already, I don't think Drickus can keep that pace. So, you know... Fair be fair, picks being picks, Strickland will be the official pick. But um, I think the prop side is how I'm going to attack this fight. Strickland late, Drickus early, and um, yeah, we'll see where it goes from there. Moving on down to the co-main event, we got Mera Bueno Silva taking on Raquel Pennington for the vacant bantamweight title. Uh, MBS is a minus 160 favorite. Raquel can be had. For plus 140. Who you got, bud? Yeah, I don't really want a whole lot of action on this one. I got Marabuena Silva, but uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of red flags up the board. Like, First of all, this is not exactly somebody that I thought was going to be in a world title situation to begin with. So I don't think she's elite. She's coming off a win over Holly Holm, which she's losing the fight. And then she pops up, pops her with this ninja choke, which a uh, slick little move. And I'm not going to say it was like a Hail Mary or Fluke or anything like that. But, you know, I was like... Uh, an uncommon low percentage move. And then it turns out that she's yoked to the gills on juice. So now they give her a suspension, presumably take the juice away. And now she's in a world title fight. I just don't like it. Now, when you look at her again, she's got a super opportunistic submission game and she's winning the vast majority of these fights with those submissions. Stephanie Egger with the armbar, knee bar over Lena Landsberg, that ninja choke over Holly Holm. Maybe she can just catch Raquel Pennington in the first round, two rounds and uh, get the quick submission. But if they're going to go out there and fight for three, four, five rounds, this thing goes to decision, entirely possible. Raquel tends to thrive in those situations, like they're close fights, they're rugged fights, but she's shown that she can fight to decision. A vast majority of her fights will just be within the clinch, single collar tie, she'll press you up against the cage, she'll work the body, there's not a whole lot of space, but she kind of conserves herself quite well. She paces herself quite well. Buena Silva seems like she needs that quick submission. When she's going to decision against, you know, Mano Fierro, Montan De La Rosa, that's when she's starting to fatigue. Especially in the De La Rosa fight where she rearranges her face for the first two rounds. She's tired in the third. The Fierro fight, she's got to chase her a little bit. She shows fatigue in the third. This is a five-round fight, and she's not on her special medication. If she gets tired in this thing for three, four, and five, and it's going to be just like a bog of a fight within the clinch, <clears throat> she's going to blow it. She's going to blow it. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. And so what's the flip side? Take that shot on Raquel Pennington, right? But it's like, I just don't want to. You could. You could. Just don't want to. And uh, 
I feel like last week with the Phil Hawes pick, it's like, I just hey, hate Phil Hawes so much. I had to make a pick. I'm leaning Phil Hawes, so I take it. But at the end of the day, Phil, or at the end of the day, Paul, you avoid these guy like the plague. I should have. Pennington, not someone I want to back with my money. Meanwhile, I'm overpaying on the other side with Buena Silva, who I think wins the fight. I honestly do, and that is the pick. But why do I think she wins the fight? What, what, what about her stands out that much? Nothing. Nothing particularly. I don't overly think this is a great fight from an entertainment standpoint. I don't think this is a great fight from a betting standpoint. I would like to take that over. <clears throat> I'd like to say that this thing probably is slow within the clinch. Doesn't see a finish. Yeah, the sub but is a risk, Buena Silva's Yeah, Buena, Buena Silva's path to victory is certainly the quick submission. And if you're going to grab Holly Holm, which, by the way, Holly Holm initiated the clinch, pressed her up against the cage, dug her head in, and just got choked out like nothing. Pennington will fight in the exact same positions. So, yeah, ner nerve-wracking for that over because of the submission threat. So there's really quite literally nothing I like about this fight. Now it's going to end up being fight of the night, I'm sure, and both ladies <laughs> will swing for the fences, and Cody was wrong. Um, but, again, I just got to go with what I see, and this one doesn't really get me all that excited. So the pick's going to be Buena Silva because I've got some other dogs I'm chasing later on the card. I don't feel like I need to force Pennington, but she, I would 100% classify her as a live underdog in this spot. Yeah, I'm going to enact the, the CF dot model for this one. I think that the only bet is Raquel Pennington. Here's the thing. <clears throat> Here's the thing about uh, Mara Bueno Silva. It's like we kind of talked about her a bunch of times. Um, that like when she's in, do, in the stand up, she kind of acts like a Diaz bro and like almost like a Bobby Green. It's just like she acts as though, you know, if her opponent lands strikes, she acts as though, like, those didn't hurt and that those did nothing. It's just, like, you acknowledging the fact that you got hit does nothing but, like, hurt you in the judge's eye. Because they're, like, they're sitting cage side and they're, like, I don't know if that actually, oh, well, she's saying, oh, that didn't hurt, that did nothing. It's, like, you know, it doesn't do the same sales job as, as she thinks. Um, I will say that. I actually didn't know that she, that she was, it was retinal retalinic acid which i never actually heard anyone get busted for i'm not a doctor i have no idea what this would help you with function I'm looking yeah, I, i've I been looking know, i've been looking into it guess. it doesn't seem like it's i mean I, it can't be it helps with adhd well, so i guess it's on the ban list it helps with like focus yeah it's it's yeah it's basically oh yeah is it just is that just what ritalin is Ritalinic acid, my God! I would feel, so she I, had I, I would she had Ritalin. Bad. I would feel basically. bad if she was. Yeah, she's on Ritalin. And she and may have ADHD, so it's like I can see why they gave her a title fight after pissing hot because, like, whatever you know, whatever commission they were in, it's like that was on the ban list. But she probably just like uses it for like you know normal existence. Either way, so I'm just gonna throw that completely out the window. She does have a very, very dangerous submission game, but it's like I was I bet against her against Lena Landsberg. Now, it was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. Marabueno Silva was able to get multiple takedowns. But if you remember that fight, right at the end of round two, right before the submission, Lena Landsberg got back up to her feet. And then dove down and, like, got into the, the, the leg lock or whatever. Like, she had gotten herself out of trouble. Now you add in five rounds. Raquel's been there five rounds multiple times. Trains with a good room of people, really experienced uh, grapplers, strikers, MMA practitioners, obviously with uh, her and Tisha Torres. 
training together and all of that type of stuff. Like she'll be ready. She's been in this spot multiple times. I feel like Mara Bueno Silva has to catch that submission relatively early. Or Rocky, who we've seen pull up like 115, 114 significant strikes in one of her more recent fights. Uh, yeah, against Aspen Ladd, somebody who was a grappler. And, and that was really only a three-round fight, put up 114 significant strikes. If you can, And she got taken down twice in that fight. So it's like, if you can, you know, if you get taken down, stay out, try, mind your P's and Q's, don't leave your neck exposed, don't leave a limb exposed, get back to your feet. I think she takes over later. Um, is able to win like rounds three, four, and five. Probably a greasy decision, but at plus 140, it's a clear dogger pass for me. I haven't decided if I'm going to bet it, but it's Pennington for me. You're, you're, the other thing you got going for me now, I'm, I'm considering a flip pick, but uh, yeah, the ne- other thing you got going for you, it's a five-round fight, right, which requires a lot of focus, which Miranda Bueno Silva won't be able to do because she just got her Ritalin. Mm-hmm. How is she supposed to keep track of who's saying what in her corner and what round it is and what she's supposed to be doing? Where she is. It's cold outside. She doesn't got her ADHD medication. Uh, yeah, that's a game changer. Game changer, Paul. Total game changer. I'll wait for weigh-ins, but uh, keep your eye on that one. Ritalinic acid, also known as Ritalin. It's amazing I didn't put two and two. I'm like, what is this scientific type of thing? And then it's just like, thanks, producer Megan, for being like Ritalin. I'm like, oh, what people who can't focus on things uh, have. Um, I'm not trying to belittle anybody who takes Ritalin for their things. So it's like, stay out of, stay away from the comments if 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 you think I'm like trying to offend you. I'm not. Not trying to offend you. Let's move on to the next fight before I get myself in more trouble. All right, we got uh, Mike Malott taking on Neil Magny. Mike Malott, a minus 400 favorite against Neil Magny. I like Mike Malott. He has been on a hell of a run. And when we were at Fight Network way back when, this was the guy who was like on the regional scene in Ontario where we were, you know, a lot of our job was like profiling like up and coming talents in in Ontario specifically because obviously we had the most access to them and this was a guy that was in the fight network offices and Robin and uh, Ramdeen and you were telling me about this guy and it took a while he had you know some hiccups along the way but now he's in the UFC and everything that like you guys kind of were saying about this guy back then is coming into fruition so much so though that Minus 400 against a seasoned veteran in Neil Magny. I can't get there from a betting perspective, Cody. I don't know what I'm going to do with this fight. Maybe nothing. But, um, yeah, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. You're the expert on Mike Malott here. Yeah, well, it's a hard fight to bet because of the minus 400. Easy fight to bet. We think Mike Malott's going to win. Okay, we're all on the same page. It's just to what extent or how many times if they fought 10 times – how many times does Mike Malott win? Because, of course, Neil Magny is a savvy veteran. He's fun. Some of the better guys in the division. He's still, you know, got a few tricks up his sleeve and uh, could pose problems. The, the biggest thing for Mike Milan is, uh, yeah, back in the day, we all thought the next George St. Pierre, at least certainly the next great Canadian talent, and he has all the skills. If you look at his mechanicals and his technique, he, he, he's good all over. He's got very fundamentally sound kickboxing, solid striking, his jiu-jitsu, BJJ black belt, competition black belt, MMA black belt. This guy is is solid all around with his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Wrestling, 
Whereas Canadians don't exactly have great wrestling. Went out to Alpha Male, spent like six or seven years out there, eventually became one of their coaches while he was injured and unable to compete, and definitely shored up. His takedown defense is solid. His takedown, his his wrestling offense is fairly solid. The, the two things that we don't quite know about him is durability and I wouldn't say cardio. I mean, the guy's in fantastic shape and just an absolute consummate professional, very smart guy, is that you haven't really been able to see him go into those later waters. So... His last number of fights now involving quick finishes. Adam Fugit a minute into the second round. The Johan Lines fight, first round submission. The Mickey Gall fight. He got busted up in that Mickey Gall fight. At least got hit a few times in that first round. But it's a first round finish. Shimon Smotrinsky, he actually looked to catch him in that first round. But the fight's over in 39 seconds, right? All of these fights have been quick finishes, right? He's finishing these guys in one round. Fugit lasted a minute into the second round. His fight with Solomon Renfro for CFFC, right? It's another first-round finish for Mike Malott, but Renfro wobbles him hard. Clean, I believe it's knocked down. Mike Malott's hurt. Mike Malott back up. Mike Malott ends up taking his back, or um, sinks in the rear naked choke, puts him away. So he got wobbled in that fight. The losses on his record, Hakeem Dewadu, right, knocked him out. Hakeem Dewadu fights at 145 pounds, and Hakeem Dewadu, certainly in the UFC, is not known for his power punching. And this fight with Thomas Diang, it's a draw in Bellator. Mike Malott starts out, you know, hot fire, 10 eights the guy. The longer the fight goes, the damage accumulates. So he's super exciting, and you're seeing these quick first-round finishes, but he's he's almost putting himself in some bad positions. And so when you say the next George St. Pierre, George didn't take those risks. George didn't put himself in those positions. He was very risk-adverse. He had a different style altogether. Malat is an entertainer. He's a crowd-pleaser. That's why the fans want to see him. That's why he's on the pay-per-view main card. That's why he's regarded probably as one of the better Canadians in all of the UFC and, not, of course, in the entire country, one of the better fighters. Uh, Mike Malat's the man. But if you if you want to subjectively be like, well, where could he possibly lose? It's someone that's going to take him into some deeper waters but then has the fire to hurt him has the punches to hurt him. It just Mangan doesn't have that. He can take you into the deeper waters. The guy's durable. He's got excellent cardio. Been in Colorado for a couple decades now. Uh, he's most definitely there to go the 15 minutes. It's the, I don't know what strike he has that's going to get Malat's attention, that's going to get his respect, that's going to stop the advancements. Because besides that, it's like, what else can Neil Magny do? Well, he might be able to outgrapple him in the clinch. That's where he's thrived throughout his career. Well, Mike Malat's bigger, faster, stronger, and thrives in the clinch as well. This thing hits the ground, and Malat's on top, which is very possible. And Neil Magny doesn't have the physical strength to avoid some of these big, strong guys. You and I remember we watched Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny. It was like, holy shit, man. How could you spend... 15 years wrestling and doing something and then have another man take you down so effortlessly. But it's a, it's a strength thing. Malat has that. If he wants to take Neil down, I think he does. If he sets up shop in his guard, he's going to win that way. If they stay at distance and they strike, Malat's got more firepower in terms of he's got the heavier strikes. But Neil Magny will chip away at you. He'll land those kicks. He'll land those, those jabs. He'll play that long game. But with a ruckus hometown crowd and Ontario Athletic Commission judging this thing, Neil's going to have to knock him out or put an absolute beating on him. And I, I don't see either of those things materializing. So Malat's definitely the pick. Minus 400, tough to take. But you'll parlay him up with a few things and just hopefully he comes through. The prop is a little bit tricky, right? As you mentioned, I think Neil's tough enough to take the damage. I think Neil's tough enough to hit this over. If not, just outright make it the 15 minutes and drop a decision. But the way Malat's been fighting for first round finishes, or I guess Fugit actually did make it to the second, sorry. But uh, a number of quick finishes... 
38-year-old Neil Magny, seen better days, you know, maybe Malat does to him what he's been doing to guys, but this is no doubt a step up in competition from what he's been fighting. Neil's definitely a gatekeeper, 100% at this point of his career, he is a gatekeeper, mm -hmm. but he's a bona fide gatekeeper to the top 15, right? So, like, go out and earn it. I think Malat's capable of doing it, but I think Neil's there to take some rounds. So, take some rounds and give him some rounds of experience. Something in Malat by decision, you know, hit the over, fight goes the distance. E even if on, in a fight goes the distance prop, if Neil was to spring it the other way, maybe you're good on the Neil winning decision. That's unlikely to me. I don't think he wins a decision here. He would have to probably catch Malat and knock him out to win, but which is yeah. possible. I just don't, again, I just don't see it. I mean, Neil really doesn't have like one hit or quitter type of power. Mm. That's just not, that's just not in the, in the wheelhouse for him. But yeah, it's probably a Mike. I mean, Malat has been finishing most of his opponents as as you mentioned but it's like the only people who have finished neil magny recently are gilbert burns by arm triangle choke shavkat rachmanov by guillotine choke it's just like those are top top of the food chain welterweights in the grappling department like maybe maybe malat's on that level but i haven't really seen it but i like have i, I have liked what i've seen from him in terms of like the rounding out of his game. Like I think he can win by landing the much more powerful ferocious strikes. The crowd's obviously going to be on his side with him being probably one of our best prospects in Canada right now. Um, if not the best prospect. Um, I know he's not a prospect. He's already in the UFC. He's fought there multiple times. But in terms of like taking that next step, being like a top 15 real capital G guy. I mean, that's what this fight with Neil Magny is. Is like it gets you into that conversation where you're fighting top 15 guys neil magny's coming off of you know losing a decision losing it handedly but still going to decision against ian gary who's one of the rising prospects in the welterweight division so it's a tough task for Malat. i think Malat wins there's no way i touch the minus 400 um now that i kind of like talked it through with you i am curious it's not even a prop that i was like considering but what is Malat decision? Malat decision could be had for like plus 400, plus 450. I don't think that's crazy. That may be something that I drop a little sprink on um, uh, this week, especially as like more props open up this week. But uh, yeah, Magni historically outside of like taking on elite grapplers, not an easy guy to finish. He is, I mean, you think about like the Kelvin Gastelum fight. He's fighting a guy who spent most of his time uh, fighting at 185 pounds, taking on some of the world's best middleweights. And it's like Neil was right there the entire time over the course of a five-round fight. It's like maybe he's a little bit longer than two. Maybe this is the time that he finally gets got. But like a lot of people were saying that he was going to get got against Ian Gary last time out. And he saw, still got to the final bell. I think he's a little bit longer in the tooth. But um, guys always historically had a really good chin. And only gets out grappled and absolutely submitted by some of the best guys in the world. So, sounds like we're more or less on the same page there. Moving on down, we've got Chris Curtis taking on Mark Andre Barrio. Minus 190 for a Curtis and a Power Bar can be had for plus 165. Your boy, Chris Curtis in Canada. I, I'm hoping to see a photo. Uh, of two of the the two of you hopefully you cross paths at some point this is your boy and you're in the same city for a very very small period of time but uh yeah take it away cody yeah yeah so when i was looking at this card it was like yeah was, 
Kyle or Kyle Nelson's not on the card. Mike Malott booked Mike Malott a pro fight. Siri City, I booked two of his amateur fights. I was like, Chris Curtis, he was our welterweight and middleweight champ. So yeah, cool to see an American in Canada because he's well loved in Canada. He's got a he's got a fan base here. He goes and he puts out. And this is a tough fight, man. This is a really tough fight. It's going to be probably fight of the night. If you've got a book that bets these fight of the night type props, this thing's going third. It's either going to go to decision or it's going to end in the third round, but it is going to be a beatdown until it ends in the third round or squeaks to do a decision somehow. I think both guys not mirror image each other, but they're both super tough and they both throw a lot of volume. Chris Curtis has always been a really slow starter. Again, when he was our champion, he was the same way. He would give up rounds. If you booked him in a five-round fight, it wouldn't be uncommon for him to give up the first two rounds. In fact, he fought Matt Dwyer, UFC veteran from BC, and exactly, gives up the first two rounds, thrashes him in the last three, one of the bloodiest fights you'll ever see. The guy's legitimate, but sometimes a slow starter. Now in the UFC, he's got off to some fast starts. He knocked out Phil Halls in the first round, which is not that impressive, but he knocks out Brendan Allen as well. The guy, if you're going to come at him and force a fight, he's got nasty power. But him and his best is really setting up the volume, setting up the body shots. He's got a, a very unorthodox stance. You know, he likes to switch a little bit. He'll throw nasty left hand from that southpaw position. Of course, he's very active with the jab, and he just accumulates damage. He doesn't really sit down on any one big punch as much as he's just looking to touch and go, touch and go, touch and go. Now, his fight with Kelvin Gastelum, tough fight. But again, this is a fight he could have won. There's a headbutt in the second round that sort of... Just you assume that Kelvin Gastelum wins the second round because he did better, but he did better because of this headbutt that caused Chris Curtis to fall down. And then all of a sudden Kelvin Gastelum's got his back for a bit and then he lands a couple strikes like visually it looks good, but he's in that fight, man. And he's a guy that's going to fight for the entire 15 minutes or 25 minutes, whatever you book him for. He'll fight for your dollar. But as a minus 190 favorite, if he's going to go out there and get into a dogfight with well, with Marc-Andre Barrio, then it's going to be a lot closer than I think a lot of people think. Barrio when he's not at his best, like, ah, the guy got knocked out by Chidi and Jaquani in 17 seconds. Oh, the guy's not all that good. But he's big, he's strong, he's rugged. He's a legitimate middleweight. In fact, the guy's fought at 205 pounds and doesn't look out of place. Curtis is a natural welterweight. He fights at a 185 and does look out of place. He can win, don't get me wrong, but he's on the small end of middleweights and Barrio is on the large end of middleweights. So you've got to use that speed advantage. But of course, as Curtis gets a little bit older, as these wars that he's constantly in start to slow him down a little bit. He relies on that shoulder roll. He relies on, you know, being a tricky type fighter. But if you're not going to move your feet and you don't have the 15-minute ability to constantly be on your bicycle and counter, fighting Barrio is a problem. In the clinch, he's going to be the bigger, stronger guy. In terms of the active work rate from Chris Curtis, Barrio can mirror a lot of it because he throws a ton. You know, he's been at Kill Cliff FC for a couple of years now, and there's no doubt about it. You can actively see him get better in real time. He keeps coming to the table. He keeps bringing new, you know, new wrinkles every time out. The reason why, again, live underdog, I can acknowledge that. But the reason why I got to go with Chris Curtis is two things. One, I'm biased as shit. That's my boy. Not riding against him. I think he wins. Again, I think it's going to be a third round stoppage for by TKO for Action Man or a decision win for Action Man. But the other reason, which is like realistically speaking, is like Barrio just edged out Eric Anders, man. Like that was a competitive ass fight. Against Eric Anders, and now he's jumping into a fight with literally Action Man's only been fighting top five, top ten guys from the division. Who are his losses? Kelvin Gaslam, Jack Hermanson, you know, like top, top guys, fights top guys. His wins, generally top guys as well. The one over Brandon Allen especially, certainly aged well. 
I, I just feel like it's a bit of a competition difference. Taking him down, <laughs> good luck. Mm -hmm. So if you're not taking down Action Man, well, then you're certainly going to have to box him up for 15 minutes. And, like, that just is so much easier said than done. Um, Got to go with Action Man. Got to go with him to get a job done. Don't know the prop that I'm going to end up sinking in on. Obviously, a third-round TKO prop would pay infinitely better than a, a, a Chris Curtis by decision. But I don't know. You can see both scenarios. I like Action Man. I think he's got a massive power advantage. I do worry about, like, if this does go three rounds. Like, not that he'll disappear, but, like, Chris Curtis has been in there with some, like, top-level competition. It hasn't always come, it hasn't always went his way, but it's like he's competed against some, like, legitimate, legitimate guys. I don't know if I can say the same about Marc-Andre Barrio. He's been kind of on that more... Not entry level, but like the step above entry level competition in the UFC for most of his fights, to be perfectly honest. Um, I do worry like if it is a tip for tat, you know, striking affair. I think like the better, more technical, more powerful strikes will be landed by Curtis. The crowd's going to go a little bit more crazy when Mark andre Barrio, because he's Canadian. Canadians love Canadians. They cheer for Canadians like that's. We have quite a bit of nationalism, particularly at UFC events in this country. And Marc-Andre Barrio puts up absurd volume. But frankly, I think Barrio has shown to be relatively chinny in a few spots. I think Chris Curtis by KO is how I see this fight playing out. I think Curtis lands a big one. Probably not in round one. He does tend to start a little bit slow. Maybe he has to like put a little pressure on himself. By, like, being down around, just like, all right, now it's time to shine. But, like, Barrio, we know, is, like, he's going to have, you know, three full rounds of, of cardio. He always does. Power bar always comes with, uh, you know, the cardio turned all the way up. But, yeah, I think Curse is going to land a, a, a big one at some point and put him out. Um, so, yeah, Curtis by KO. I was actually, I already had that circled. Plus 225. It's probably going to make the card this week. Moving on down, we got Movsar Evloev taking on Arnold Allen. Movsar is a minus 185 favorite. Allen can be had for plus 160. Another great fight. Top level featherweight guys trying to like get into that inner circle of the top five. Uh, probably two guys on the roster that nobody wants to fight. Um, Allen's shown a lot of talent in terms of like his power his cardio his his uh his you know technic technical striking abilities and Mozart is pretty much just like a like a honey badger it's just like he is on you he is going for takedown after takedown after takedown after takedown sets a high pace it's a really really entertaining fight um probably skill for skill You'd argue, like, the best fight on this entire card. Um, who do you got in this one, Code? Yeah, this is a great fight, obviously, with Movzar Evil of 17-0. This guy is a legitimate... Again, you can't call these guys prospects, but you use the term prospect in that you're not viewing them as contenders at this point. But when are they going to jump in and, and fight for the title? Evlo has been kind of hanging in the shadows. He's not been fighting the biggest names, but he goes out there and he wins. Uh, more of a decision style. Likes to just kill that space, stick on top of you like glue, get those takedowns. A very traditional Russian style, which we love. 
And then you, on the flip side to that, you've got Arnold Allen, which I'm not super high on Arnold Allen personally, but the results have been certainly been speaking for themselves. You go out there and you pick up a quality win over Dan Hooker with a first round knockout. You follow it up by knocking out Calvin Cater and then went the distance with Max Holloway. Landed some nice shots on Max Holloway. Showed him something. I can't take anything away from Arnold Allen. I think he's a better striker than Mozart Evloev. I think he's got the heavier strikes than Evloev. If the judges sitting cage side are the types of judges that like damage, if they like the bigger shots, I think Arnold Allen has a chance of squeaking this thing out on a close split type of decision from landing those bigger strikes. If these judges like control time, it's very possible that Evloev is going to 30-27 this guy and blow him out of the water. And that's what I'm having trouble kind of deciding. When you look at Arnold Allen recently, yeah, if you want to stand with this guy, there's a good chance that he's going to bang your head off. Calvin Cater is a striker. Max Holloway is a striker. Dan Hooker is a striker. Sodik Yusuf is a striker. Nick Lentz, my boy. But, I mean, he was like 40 years old at the time. It was like the end of Nick Lenz. He is a wrestler, though. Gilbert Melendez was absolutely done. It was the end of Gilbert Melendez. I'm pretty sure it was his last fight ever. <sighs> Who's going to take him down? But you go back to that Mads Burnell fight, and it is a win for Arnold Allen. But Burnell takes him down six times. He easily out-wrestles him. He wins the first two rounds, and he gasses in the third round and gets caught in a guillotine choke. Had he not gassed out, he would have won a decision there. He's up two rounds just using his wrestling. And so part of me wonders if Eve Love can't just do the same thing. I mean, it's not like Arnold Allen in fights that he's been forced to stuff takedowns. It doesn't look like his wrestling's all that good. He's not known to be this finesse grappler as much as he's aggressive, he's coming forward, and he's slinging bombs on you. No doubt he's a well-rounded fighter. I get that. But as you start to fight into the top 15, as you start to fight into the top 10, as you start fighting into the top 5, it's not enough to just have one dimension to your game because these guys are now elite, right? Ivlov is an elite wrestler. He's an elite grappler. So it's not enough to just be an okay one. And I'm getting the sense that that's what Arnold Allen is, right? You can match him up with strikers, and he's going to come out hot fire and try to take their head off. And those will be fun fights. If you match him up with a guy that's looking to pin him down and hold him down, to me, he's not shown yet that he can overcome that. So, and you know, Evil Love's going to do exactly that. Plus, it's not like he's a fish out of the water with his own striking as much as, you know, Diego Lopez rocked him a few times and, for that matter, almost choked him out a few times. But he's smart. He finds ways to win. He plays to his strengths and he gets the job done. I think he does the same thing here. And by decision, I don't think he's finishing this thing. I think if he wins, he's going to win a decision. And so whereas this money line doesn't look great, you can juice it up way better in your favor by taking the decision. And again, you think he chokes out Arnold Allen? I don't. You think he knocks out Arnold Allen? Certainly not. So you're kind of safe in going in that direction. Yeah, I I totally agree with pretty much everything you said. I think Evilev is going to find, uh, find the ability to just get the takedowns. You know, make this fight kind of ugly. It's not going to be fan-friendly if Mosar Evloev wins this fight. Uh, best price on market, minus 117. Uh, Evloev by decision. Don't mind that. Uh, other places have it like minus 150. I think that's like more accurate. Uh, it's like 60% of the time he wins by decision. You know, sharper books tend to have him pretty close to, you know, his minus 210 money line. It's like they think... If Evloev wins, he very, very likely wins by decision. I agree with that. Uh, moving on down, we've got Brad Katona taking on Garrett Armfield. Katona, minus 185 favorite. Armfield can be had for plus 160. Who you got? 
I mean, I think Katona's just got to keep doing what he's doing, and uh, that should hopefully get him the victory. He's in a second run in the UFC, and this guy the first time around was on the Ultimate Fighter. He beat Bryce Mitchell on the Ultimate Fighter. He starts off well in the UFC, and then, I don't know, they gave him Marab Devashvili. Hunter Azer, I suppose that one wasn't so great for him, but then just released, just like that. So I think a lot of people would have just called it a day, especially Brad Kutona, who always had trouble finding fights, had a big periods of inactivity early on in his regional show days. Um, it's enough to call it quits, but no, he stepped, he, he stuck at it, fought in all the world's best, you know, regional shows overseas, got some experience, got some big wins, kept the ball rolling, comes back for a second stint on the ultimate fighter, wins that becoming like the first guy to ever win the ultimate fighter twice. You can imagine that one, but w wins it twice. And then that final with Cody Gibson, I mean, he lands like 164 significant strikes. It's very, very, very high volume. The thing with Brad Katona is that he's very smart. He's got excellent tactical boxing. He moves well. He's very physically strong. And he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He himself is very well-rounded and a, and a good thinker. Is there really any one X factor to his game that makes him an elite-level fighter? No. But again, he's so well-rounded that, and again, good ring IQ, he could find ways to play it into his strong suit. Again, against Garrett Armfield, almost set up like, He's in Canada. We want to get Katona a win. Who's going to give him a fun fight, but something that would probably play in his favor? It would have to be Garrett Armfield. I mean, he, as limited as he is, uh, he doesn't have the grappling to stick with Katona on the ground if this thing hits the ground. He doesn't have the speed, no doubt. And I just don't think that he's going to hit the target and find the mark. His last win is Toshimu Kazama guy. Kazama is about as one-dimensional as a grappler as you'll ever see. Super fun and tricky as a grappler cannot take a punch, has shown a propensity to get knocked out extremely quick in MMA fights where he gets punched in the face, and, and Gar Garrett Armfield goes out there and springs, you know, I think it was like an even-money fight or a slight upset win for Armfield, but springs that one out. That's fine. You land that same punch on Katona, it probably doesn't even land, but still, if it does, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be in your face. He's going to get the better technical boxing. He's going to mix in some takedowns, add some pressure on I think Katona wins. Is it possible that Garrett Armfield lasts the 15 minutes? Yeah, because again, Katona's not a huge power puncher per se. And uh, sometimes maybe a little lackadaisical with a submission game. But yeah, I just think he's so more advanced skill-wise that at some point Armfield's going to feel the pressure. At some field, I think Armfield breaks. So maybe a late stoppage win for Brad Katona. But in either way, I think he wins this fight. Yeah, no, no real uh, disagreements here. I think he's shown that he's got he's like well rounded enough, skilled enough to keep himself out of like the submission threat. I think that Armfield can bring to him. Yeah, Katona's just like, I mean, I hate his fake accent. That that, that kind of annoys me. You know, the fake like he sounds like he's from Ireland, but he's actually from Winnipeg. It's like, what are you up to, bro? What are you up Winnipeg. to? I've got my eyes on you, but. Um, I know, I know that he like he married like an Irish girl or whatever, and that's probably spending all that time in Ireland. Maybe that's where he got like some of the accent or or whatever. But it's strange. He's obviously on you know Ultimate Fighter, and you're kind of like this guy doesn't sound like us. Well, what happened here? Um, it's kind of like he's like male MMA's like Mackenzie Dern, who's like you know she's from like Phoenix, but sounds like she's from a flavella in Sao Paulo. But um, it is what it is. But, yeah, no, he's, he's super, super smart. He proved it multiple times. The only reason why they really got rid of him in the first place is that he doesn't necessarily have the most fan-friendly style. But it's like guy knows how to mind his P's and Q's. He's trained with some very, very smart people over the course of his uh, uh, he's very, very experienced career at this point. Like, 
Yeah, he's a smart guy. He'll mind his P's and Q's. Yeah, get takedowns, lay on top, you know, watch out for fishing of submissions and and yeah, it's the it's the Bracketona style. Uh you're not gonna love it uh watching it typically, but it's effective. If you have money on it. it. The worst fight in the world is the best fight in the world. It's Lay true. and pray is the best when you got the guy on top. Okay, it's true. When you got the guy on bottom, you're like, they should cut the guy on top. Nobody wants to yeah. see this. Stand him up, bro. That's how that just how it goes. That's how it goes. But uh, yeah, dude, like John Fitch would be the best if you had money on him. You know, don't take any risks. Sit exactly here. Win the round every time. And I'll tell you my biggest regret from last week. Tons of regrets. I, I hit my top two tickets, super happy. And if I can hit my top two tickets every week, oh, that'd be the best. But the one I regret is Basharat Lapalus, which is the PRP pick. Basharat is extremely focused, and I like it. He's stuck to, I am going to take you down and smother you by any means necessary. By any means necessary. And he's stuck with it. That, 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 you know, you can say, ah, oh, boring. Blah, Muhammad, all oh, boring. When you got money on it, it's not boring. It's a good time. So when you lose, you hate these guys. So whenever it's I true. see people trashing like Blah, Muhammad in his comment section, it's like, yeah, he cost them money one time and they're bitter or racist. But I prefer to think bitter <laughs> because I have a better, I have a better expectation of the world, but bitter because he's cost them money. I get it. The, when you put it that way, yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one. This one should not be boring. We got uh, Charles Jordan taking on Sean Woodson. Jordan, a minus 220 favorite. Woodson could be half a plus 185. I mean, Air Jordan, consummate uh, entertainer. The one thing I wish he kind of had in his, in his tool set here was like a little bit more leg kicks. He hasn't really shown too much of that. He's shown like a... Uh, action, high action, fan friendly type of style. You can mix in a little bit of grappling, but it's like the 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 matchups that he has some like decent submission skills. But it's like the matchups where his opponent has like you know a wrestling advantage have proven to be a problem. I don't really expect much wrestling here. Woodson's obviously super super long for featherweight. Um, hasn't shown like crazy sort of pop or power. But I think this fight could look a lot closer um, than the, than the odds suggest. Um, and actually, like thirty minutes before the show is like when I like update the odds on the board. It seemed like someone pressed even harder on Charles Jordan because he was like minus one ninety, and the entire market moved up to minus two twenty. So somebody out there is is pushing Charles Jordan. I think Charles Jordan wins, but at the current price. Of minus two twenty, I, I am a little bit nervous there, Cody. I think um, I think this fight could be razor razor close, and uh, maybe the the Canadian judges, the Canadian fans, a little bit of little little poutine, little home cooking could uh, to, could swing it towards Charles Jordan here. But it's not something I'm going to really be attacking from a betting perspective. What's your take? Yeah, I'm going to be attacking. I think Charles Jordan wins this fight. And- you smell that? It's not apple pie shit. It's poutine, baby. It's going to be some hometown cooking if it gets that far, right? Like, I can see a world where Charles Roday knocks him out, especially if he drags him into that second and third round, really tires him out. I see a world where Charles Roday chokes him out. I see a world where Charles Roday wins a 30-27. I see a world where it's an absolute dogfight, and we take that home cooking. But in all those scenarios, 
my boy Air Jordan gets the win. That, that's that's what I'm hoping to go for here. You make a good, very good point about the kicks because Jordan back in the day used to throw just a plethora of kicks. He's got good body kicks, solid leg kicks, and again, because he's got such a tricky style, it's off rhythm, so it's hard to get a beat on his timing and counter him. I mean, he just throws that all in his arsenal. Here's the thing. Because he's violent striker, I mean a violent striker. People don't want to stand with this guy for the most part. And his last fight with Ricardo Ramos, the guy just wants to take him down, so he can't kick. Ramos did take him down twice. Jordan ends up winning the fight. Cron Gracie, well, why would you want to kick with Cron Gracie knowing that he's just trying to take you down? They're trying That's to fair. catch a leg and take you down. His fight with Nathaniel Wood, Nathaniel Wood took him down five times. You can't kick with these guys because they're looking to catch a leg. The fight with Shane Burgos, okay? I swear to God, there was a moment in the fight where I thought Charles Jourdain was made out of Braille and Shane Burgos was blind because he all he was doing was just putting hands on him, holding him, trying to take his back, trying to slow down this thing. And Jourdain probably still won the fight, breaking at length, landing the bigger shots. Judges didn't agree, but he didn't have the hometown favoritism on his side. Here, holding on to him, yeah, it's, it's an effective strategy, but Woodson's not that guy. Woodson can wrestle. Woodson showed in his last fight against Dennis, yeah, yeah, he can take you to the ground, but against low-level guys, like he's so tall and comes from an amateur boxing background, certainly loves to box, switch stance hitter, nasty jab, longest reach you see going, but he's not really going to shoot takedowns. He's not going to come out with a game plan of shoot takedowns for 15 minutes. And even if he, for some reason, decided, I'm going to fight differently than I've ever fought before in my entire career, he doesn't have the cardio to do that. Like, wrestling is physically taxing, and it's not who he is. Mm -hmm. He's sitting on the outside and touch, 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 touch. Again, doesn't sit down on any one punch, but will hit you 150 times, right? That's the difference. When I look at Jordan, Jordan's able to hit you 150 times as well. But any of these punches are capable of knocking you out. I mean, he's spinning. He's landing hooks. He's landing straights. He's landing not as many kicks as you'd like to see. But again, he'll throw the knee up the middle. He'll throw something that just has you second guessing and puts it on you. Uh, because his wrestling is certainly the key to beating him. And it's never quite got to where it needs to be. He's worked a lot on his jiu-jitsu. Where it's, if I do get taken down, how can I snatch up this neck? Woodson, the one that really sticks out for me, the more you really dig into how this one might go, is that Julian Arosa fight. Whereas Arosa, I mean, he fought Jordan as well and beat him as well, so it's a good barometer test. But he's a dog. He takes him into the into the second round. He takes him into the third round. He makes him work. And as he makes him work, he tires him out. And as he tires him out, Woodson's defense gets leaky. He stands very straight up. Even in that last fight against Bazookia, the kid comes in on, like, ultra short notice. Um, I think it was maybe five days notice. Woodson got hit, looked good against a guy on five days notice who then went on to lose his very next fight in the UFC in like 90 seconds. You know, a, a shouldn't be in the UFC type of competitor. Yeah, he looked okay, but he took rounds. He took, you know, time. He t it just it wasn't the greatest performance in my opinion. I think Jordan is the heavier hitter. He's faster than him. He's got better cardio. He's got the home field advantage. The grappling is actually, in fact, better. Woodson's non-existent wrestling offense isn't enough to take down Jordan. And again, everybody is looking to take down Jordan. Mm -hmm. So finally, somebody stands with him. They're going to bang. And Jordan don't mind getting hit. But you'd better be Jeremy Stevens. You know, you'd better be somebody that can make those hits count. Whereas Woodson, I, there's not enough punch there. There's not enough zap there. There's not enough, 
I stung him with one and now he's not going to dog walk me. Like once you fail to get his respect, he's constantly going to be coming forward and making you fight off your back foot, which when you're six foot two at this weight class fighting off your back foot, it's not going to work out long term. So yeah, I honestly think Jordan goes out there and wins this fight. Am I too high up on him? Maybe. Is this just a very thrilling fight of the night worthy type of fight? Everyone's excited about it. You know, you put a little too much money on it and then you get a violent scrap. Yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, I think Jordan is the right guy. This is a fun fight, tailor-made to him and his skills. Um, and for the first time, you might see him let loose a little bit because that threat of the takedown isn't necessarily there as much as it is in prior fights. Yeah, it's going to be hard for Woodson to take him down. That That's for damn sure. He's six foot two, taking on somebody who's five foot nine. Uh, Woodson also has got a nine-inch reach advantage, 69, nice, uh, inches to 78 inches in the reach department so i mean we we kind of talked about you know what woodson brings to the table it's stay at the outside touch 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 but it's like eventually you are right it's like those strikes from the outside have to earn some respect or people just close that pocket and 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 slug it out on the inside um and woodson is a little bit better at striking from range than like throwing like heavy hooks or anything like that once you get in once you break that pocket so um the last last thing can i throw one last thing in there is when you look at woodson it's like his last fight he beats that dennis bazookia who's zero and two in the ufc i believe released Right. He the draw with Luis Saldana. Saldana knocked him down twice. And especially the second knockdown, Saldana looks at the ref like he thinks it's over. And he basically just like walks off. And Woodson like staggers back up, like beat to crap. It's true. With Saldana, who's again not much of a power puncher, right? The other way, Colin Anglin. Colin Anglin went 0-2 in the UFC and got cut. Yusuf Zalal, I don't mind, cut from the UFC. Uh Juliana Rosa, I like uh, you know, Juicy J, but again, can't really take much of a punch. Kyle Bokniak, right? Those are his UFC fights. When you look at Charles Jordan, it's, man, they've thrown him in there with the ringer, dude. He's been in there with Kron Gracie, Nathaniel Wood, Shane Burgos, you know, beat up Lando Venata. Uh, he fought Andre Feely, fought Duo Choi in his second fight, made his debut against Des Green. He's been on the regional scene. He fought Jesse Ronson. He fought TJ Laramie. He fought the best guys that, I mean, he could go in. Sorry, not, not Ronson, but he fought TJ Laramie. Like, he fought very high-level competition the whole way through. To me, this is, yo, we're going to Canada. Charles Jourdain is a huge star in Canada. If if Mike Malott's not the best Canadian fighter on the roster right now, then it might be Jasmine Jastavicius or Louis or Charles Jourdain. Those guys are like what we've got to offer. Let's give him a stylistically good matchup in his own backyard against a guy that hasn't fought near to the level of competition, hasn't proven near to the level of competition, got rocked twice by Louis Saldana. Oh, but he beat Dennis Bazookia and he beat Colin Anglin. Colin Anglin and Dennis Bazookia would have gotten killed by Charles Jordan. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's going to be a big talent gap once you physically see them in the cage. So, I don't love the money line because it's like, what, minus 260? It's steamed. It's steamed. But there's a lot of steamed guys on this card. And this minus 260 to me looks as good as the minus 400 on Mike Mallott. Only this is way better value, obviously. So, I like this spot better. Fair enough. All right. Uh, moving on down, we've got. Sergey City taking on Ramon Tavares. The rematch that most people who don't watch Contender Series probably don't even realize is a rematch. Um, they fought on Contender Series. It was a banger for, you know, as long as it lasted. Uh, spent most of their time on their feet. 
City was doing a great job hanging out at range, and I mean, it sounds like he's pretty well-rounded guy. He's got like some decent jujitsu skills. He's kind of like a lifelong martial artist. He was doing a great job of like you know baiting and and countering uh, the the aggressive attacks of Ramon Tavares. It's not his fault, you know. He knocks down uh, Tavares. Tavares gets up, or sorry, Tavares uh, and Kevin O'Connell. Um, who I haven't seen do too much reference since then, to be perfectly honest. Uh, steps in, stops it, and like immediately Dana's reacting like, you know, that was too early, whatever. And it's not City's fault. So Dana brought Tavares back onto Contender Series, and this Tavares guy gets a knockout in the first round um, when he was like a decent-sized underdog in that spot. This fight kind of screams to be an absolute banger. Obviously, they already fought. The finish was a little bit premature, but, like, he knocked him down. It was like, it's not, there's no disrespect to City whatsoever. It's like, I feel like them kind of running this back almost seemed a little bit unnecessary. Tavares landed some really good shots. City's chin held up perfectly to those shots in the short little window of time that we were able to watch it. From a betting perspective, I, I, I'm going to pick City. The, I actually have put money already on the under one and a half rounds. Just because I think the way that this Ramon Tavares guy fights, it's like he's kind of like shoot out of a gate, kill or be killed. Um, I don't know if his, you know, his chin is going to be the best. It's going to hold up over time. There could be a grappling advantage for Surrey City uh, on top of that. I know he doesn't have too many submission wins over the course of his career, but... I think there may be an advantage there. Um, and obviously, City already finished him in the first round. So um, the under one and a half rounds is like basically a pick em. I got minus 106. It's basically a, a pick em at this point in time across the market. Um, I like that from a betting perspective. My pick will be Surrey City. What about you? Yeah, yeah. So the only thing is, again, you're just looking at money lines. Like this was a very competitive fight on the contender series for as long as it lasted. So I think a lot of people assume that this one will probably very be very competitive as well and yet city is the minus 190 you know essentially two to one favorite makes you think makes you wonder um i'm gonna go with city as well though when i look at ramon tavares this kid has got fast hands and big time firepower he can absolutely hit very thudding but i part of me wonders if he's not a glass cannon and what i mean by that is he comes out of uh, combat night in florida and they're just known for mismatching right he's one of their guys so they're gonna build him up if you look at his record, the guy's two and six, three and four, three and thirteen. Then he fights Edward Massey, who's five and five at the time, and he gets knocked out in thirty-four seconds into the very first round. Then he rebounds, beating a guy that's four and three, eight and six. Charles Bennett, yeah, he fought Charles Bennett less than a year ago. Crazy Horse, Crazy Horse was forty-three years old at the time, and this kid's twenty-nine. Then he beats five and five James Dunn, and he's on the contender series. Two fights removed from a fight with Crazy Horse, uh, six months removed from a fight with Crazy Horse, and he's on the Contender Series. But yet, he's not fought anybody real to this point. He's not fought any legit contenders. He's not even fought guys. Ever Massey's actually a beast for a 5-5, five and five, but Massey knocked him out in 34 seconds. So what do you know about him, that he's able to beat low-level regional scene guys or guys that are way fast past their prime? Crazy Horse is 30 and 43. 41. 30 wins, 41 losses on like a 14-fight losing streak. And you choose to fight this guy. And now you're in the UFC. 
doesn't bode well for me. So the fight with City, I pick him the first time around. Like the kid, know the kid on a personal level. You know, he's been been around for a long time. Books some of his amateur fights. I like him. Fight starts, and it's like, damn, dude, Ramon Tavares actually can crack. He does. He seemingly has a striking advantage. He's got the hand speed advantage, and he cracks Siri with three or four very nice shots. I wouldn't say he hit him with his best shot, but he hit him with some pretty good shots. City hit him back one time, Paul. One time. And he folded over. Now, he wasn't out. And it wasn't early stoppage. Here's the thing. Is it City just took four of your best shots. You did not stand up to one of his. Now you've got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. A kid with a long submission uh, record. Uh, mostly submits guys in terms of his like previous wins in MMA. Grappling advantage. Wrestling advantage. There's still like three minutes left in the first round. He is on top and you are rocked. Yeah, maybe it was an early stoppage, but if they let the fight going, I didn't think it was getting any better for him. He proved to me that he cannot take a punch. First pro loss, knocked down 34 seconds, fight on the contender series, dropped from the very first clean punch that Siri landed. So, yeah, restart the fight. Let 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 them continue on. Do you not think that City wasn't going to hit him again? You don't think that maybe if they were striking for a little bit more, you, you don't think that he would have had some more opportunities to hit him? Yeah, I think he would have. So he had the durability to step up to Ramon's shots, at least early. And Ramon didn't have the ability to stand up to his shots. And so that's, that's to me, what my biggest takeaway from it was booking this rematch is Ramon Tavares is going to look good early. He's going to land shots early. If this thing gets out of the first round, it might be a Tavares first round. But most of his fights end very quickly. He's not shown that he's got some deep gas tank. He doesn't show that he's got any punch resistance. And he doesn't really show that he's got all that much of a ground game, truth be told. So there is just glaring holes across the map for this guy. Whereas City, there's question marks that he still needs to answer. But you, good enough, man. Good enough. So it's not going to happen as quick as it did the first time. But it's going to be a similar outcome. These guys are going to scrap. They're both making their UFC debut. They're both going to be chomping at the bit. Highly... Um, anxious, nervous, excited, it's going to be a fight. It ain't going the distance. If you want to bet a prop, this thing ain't going the distance. Someone's getting finished. For my money's worth, it's City. Guy that finished him already. Guy that figures to be able to do the same thing here. So sign me up for the Canadian. All right, we got Jillian Robertson taking on Pollyanna Viana. Jillian Robertson is a minus 250 favorite. Pollyanna can be had for plus 210. Who you got? Yeah, I mean, Pollyanna Viana's just had, like, honestly one of the craziest careers I've ever seen. She's mm. billed as some great jiu-jitsu practitioner and BJJ black belt and uh, world champion. Oh, this girl can grapple. She's won, like, 11 state championships in Brazil. And right away, it's like the master's soft, but she's getting submission wins. Okay. J.J. Aldrich fight. She got out-grappled by J.J. Aldrich. It was definitely a red flag. Hannah Cyphers beats her upstanding. She can't take Hannah Cyphers down. Giant red flag. Veronica Hardy, at the time Veronica Macedo, who wasn't really known for her grappling at the time, subs her with an armbar from guard in a minute. Huge fraud. Absolutely huge fraud. And then she scores back-to-back armbar wins over Emily Whitmire. Kids call her Emily Shitmire. But all the same, beats her and beats uh, Mallory Martin. A couple first-round armbars. So then it's like, ah, oh, I mean, maybe she can grapple. But no. No, she can't. And so that last fight with Yasmin Lucindo, like... Lucindo catching that arm triangle choke in the second round was not any, I'm a better grappler than you. It was, that's how tired Pollyanna Viana got and then just flat quit on herself. Jiu-Jitsu's not that good. She gets put in a bad position and she's tired. She's just going to give it up. 
Striking's not there. Yeah, she knocked out Jin Yu Frey. Okay, things happen sometimes. She's one and done with her strikes. There's not enough on it. There's not enough jiu-jitsu. There's not enough cardio. There's not enough of anything. I'm not super high on Jillian Robertson, and she's not even really Canadian. Like, she, I think she lived here until she was eight or nine years old, and then she lived in Florida her entire adolescent and, like, adult life. Uh, she's very much a Floridian, but all the same, we'll take her as our own in this matchup. Because we think she's going to win. Again, not the biggest fan of hers because she'll go out there. I wouldn't say, like, make mistakes. Just sometimes she's a little bit hard on herself mentally. And even though she might have a bad round or she ends up in a bad spot, she won't overcome it. She's got the superior grappling. She's got the superior pace. And the biggest key here is that she's got the wrestling. So if they hit the ground, which this thing's probably hitting the ground, Vienna's jiu-jitsu, to me, fairly fraudulent. I don't think she just catches Jillian Robertson on something. But if she was to end up on top of Jillian Robertson, and this is a grappling match, well, then it's subjective to what the judges are looking at. It's the wrestling. It's who's going to get the takedown is going to establish who's going to be on top. And that's Robertson all day. If it was to stay standing, Robertson's still, you know, capable of coming forward and being aggressive, mixing things up, you know, trying to be more active on the feet. But I wouldn't feel super comfortable with it because, again, Vienna's just going to wing some punches and it's going to end up being close and it's going to be end up being... You know, probably like competitive volume wise, and then all of a sudden you need the judges to render the decision in your favor, but it's going to feel a lot closer than need be. If she just decides to take her down and stay on top and set up shop, she's either going to submit her or just easily win these rounds. So Robertson always has the skill to do it. She just needs to go out there and apply it. And what I really like with her and her relationship with Dean Thomas is he's working on setting up those game plans. She just needs to go out and execute, but she's been doing a better job, I think. Of sticking to her strengths. And if she sticks to her strengths here, she wins this fight. So Robertson. Yeah, I do I there's no way I can get to like the money line. The money line continues to grow um on Jillian Robertson. It's gonna be up to it's gonna get closer to like minus three hundred as I look at like the updated odds um as we do the show here. This just like screw Every Jillian Robertson fight is like I think both of these these girls have kind of proven over like the course of their UFC career that it's like pretty volatile, um, volatile results. Like you don't really know who's going to show up on any any given day. You know me, my you get to like minus three hundred on uh, a women's strawway fight, and I start looking for reasons to go the other way. Um, do I think Jillian Robertson probably wins? Do I think she has, you know, she's put in a lot of time in like grappling tournaments and stuff that she should be able, she should be prepared for whatever Pollyanna Vienna can throw up from her back? Yes. Do I have like a weird gut feeling that like this could be like an arm guard, arm bar from guard type of situation? Yeah. Yeah, I do, Cody. So. Of course. For the purposes of this, this you know, picks, whatever that means, I'm going to enact the CF dot model. From a betting perspective, it's going to be a pass. I'll pick Pollyanna Viana to pull off the upset in something super stupid. And, uh, I mean, I was on Viana against Jin Frey. I was just like, I think she's going to win by submission. She lands, like, one heater shot. Absolutely knocks out Frey, who I don't believe had been like knocked out in her career. And it's just like, okay, this girl is like so volatile. I don't know what to expect from her fight to fight. So, yeah. Um, if you were going to bet Viana, I feel like Viana inside the distance, which is like plus 600, is a much better bet than her money line at plus 220, plus 225. It's like, if she wins, it's probably going to be either a submission or she's going to land an absolute 
nuke, which is probably less likely, but I don't know. Um, probably a fight I'm not going to bet whatsoever, but for the purpose of chaos, I'll pick Pollyanna Viana. Uh, moving on down, we've got Johan Lines taking on Sam Patterson. Lines, so minus 150 favor. Patterson can be had for plus 130. Pat- Patterson was a contender series guy, British guy, super, super tall. Kind of had what they call the tall guy defense uh, against Yanal Ashmuz in his UFC debut. Uh, Lines, we've kind of talked about him. He's been around the UFC for a few fights now. I'm sure he's making massive improvements, but it's like his best stuff typically has just been the fact that like he seems to be able to hit pretty hard. That's how he got his job in the UFC against Justin Burleson. Um, he throws for the, he swings for the fences, and if he lands, maybe he can he can find you know the button, find a knockout. Um, I'll ever so slightly lean towards Lines here, hometown crowd, um, and Patterson. I think that chin is there to be exploited, but another one. It's like I don't feel great about it. Patterson obviously had a horrible performance. A lot of people are high on him heading into that fight against Ashmoos. Um, Maybe, yeah, and like it seems like he's like a tall guy that like rely a tall British guy who relies on his on his grappling for a lot of his wins, taking people down, fishing for submissions, using those long limbs. I don't know. I'll say Johan KO round one, but don't love it. What about you? Yeah, it's a dog or pass fight, to be honest with you. And I don't actually have any bona fide underdog picks on the card yet so far. So might as well take the first one here. Uh, yeah, again, very much probably a 50-50 fight when you consider that Johan Lainez could very much not come absolutely unconscious in the first few minutes. The first round, certainly. His win condition is knockout. It's on the table. This fight's excellent matchmaking because Johan Lainez lacks a lot of stuff. Technical striking, it's not there. Footwork, non-existent. Defense, pretty much not there. Very, very physically strong. Can absolutely hit like a hammer. And has five minutes of cardio. So how many guys can he beat? Now, at least Trevor Peek will give you everything he's got for 10, 15 minutes. He's got heart. Linus has heart. I'm not saying he's a quitter by no means. It's that he can't carry that power through. If he's running on fumes, he's going to give it up. So he's got five minutes to knock you out. That's always how he's been. He went over to, I believe it was Fury FC or CFFC, uh, fought Evan Butcher, right? A well-known guy, Beltro veteran, solid all-around guy. And he's so gassed in that fight. It's like, oh, my God. And then, boom, Hail Mary shot. Knocks out Evan but- uh, uh, Butcher. When he knocked him out, I was almost certain. I was like, this guy's going to lose his next fight. He has no cardio. He swings wild bombs. If they don't land, he's going to lose. Sure enough, his very next fight was Justin Berlinson on the Contender Series. And Berlinson was like a 3-1 to favorite. So he just throws mad bombs and he- he's capable of knocking guys out. Okay, This is where it gets greasy for him. They sign him because he just killed a man in front of Dana White. So even though they're willing to ignore all of your other deficiencies, if you perform in that one moment, he performed in that one moment. So they signed him to the UFC. He draws Gabe Green. Okay, He hurts Gabe Green early, drops him. Gabe Green pops right back up, puts the pressure on him, and he folds up right away. He ends up landing 41 significant strikes, had that knockdown, had two takedowns, but all of that energy just, he was cooked in the first round. Second round, Gabe Green tires him out, takes him down, pounds on him, gets the TKO finish. The next fight, this one's way more troublesome for me personally, Darian Weeks, right? He landed 23 significant strikes over Darian Weeks, 
in a split decision win. So you could say, oh, man, he went to decision. Look at that, 15 minutes. He's dead dog tired the entire time. He lands 23 significant strikes in the entire fight. He landed 10 significant strikes in the last two rounds combined, the second and third. 10 significant strikes running on fumes. Got outstruck 44 to 23 and gave up the lone takedown of the fight, but they gave him the split decision win. So, awful performance. Awful performance considering he was coming off of an awful performance against Gabe Green. Then they give him Mike Malott, and th that one is a, you give him a pass because it's Mike Malott, and he's obviously, there's a giant talent discrepancy here. Uh, so he didn't have time to gas out. He just got taken down and choked out immediately. So his ground game is not at what you would call an elite level. His striking, although he's got elite level power, he don't set it up. It, technically speaking, it's not there. His wrestling offense is him just being stronger than you and muscling to you to the ground. But that you can't keep that up in a 15-minute fight unless you just get a quick takedown and finish the guy quickly. Yeah, he knocked out Evan Cuts in the third round, but watch the fight. Disgusting. And maybe an early stoppage as well. I can't get behind Johan Lainez. He's a favorite? He's the favorite I'm going to bet him? Like, are you nuts? I bet the fight doesn't go the distance because Lainez either kills him, which he's capable of doing. He's got massive power. Or he tires, which is the flip side of the coin, is he tires. Now, with Sam Patterson, it's not just Linus has God-given power. That's why he might win. It's that line, or, uh, Patterson can't take a punch. Because first career loss, first-round knockout over a then 1-0 fighter who's now 3-2 and as a pro, but gives up a first-round knockout. Obviously, you saw him in the Contender Series. He takes a beating in that first round. Comes back in the second round, gets the submission. Nice submission game. Long. You know, very very tall for the weight class. And he's got two inches of a height and reach advantage over Lioness. But it's just like tall man defense, like you said. And not only that, but just like shaky chin. And then he fights his first fight in the UFC and gets killed in the first round. So we're expecting much of the same. Not only that, his entire career has been at 155 pounds. And now he's moving up to 170. So two things here. Thing number one. Could be better for his chin. Could be better for his durability. Look how tall the guy is. You think he should be cutting down to 55? Probably not. Thing number two is now he's got to fight welterweights. And Linus hits like a, a light heavyweight. He hits like a middleweight. He hits like an absolute tank. So you're not getting a weak welterweight on your first move up. You're getting a beast of a man. But again, it's a 50-50 fight. It's a dogger pass fight. And if you don't get smoked out of there in the first five minutes, I think he's just going to... Linus will tire himself out. <laughs> Patterson will take over. Patterson will end up on top, take the back, ground and pound, open something up, and then maybe hit a submission some way into the second or the third round. So, yeah, I, I am going to take the slight underdog shot on Sam Patterson. But, like, how good would you feel about it, knowing that your guy can get demolished at any point in those first five minutes? Get me out of that round, Patterson. That's where he'll start to take over. So, uh, dog number one, Sam Patterson. All right, we got Jasmine Jasuda Vicious taking on the legend of Cab. Minus 350 for Jasmine, plus 275 for my girl Priscilla Cachuera. I mean, Cody, coming into the week. Oh, we're not doing shoey bets on this. My heart, are, my heart yeah, is so invested already in this fight. I don't need anything else on it. My first click this week, of course, when I opened up the sports books, it's like, ah, Monday morning. So, like, let's see what's going on here. I was like, ooh, plus 330, cab. I'm not going to let cab fight in my country, and I'm not going to have at least a little, a little ticket for it. Ken Jasmine, you know, is the most likely outcome. Jasmine, who has shown, 
significant improvements in her wrestling, you know, taking down Tracy Cortez twice, taking on Gabriela Fernandez four times, um, being able to fight at decent level uh, and showing that like she's really, really making some massive improvements, you know, even just keeping it super competitive against Tracy Cortez in that fight. Um, A lot of people scored it for her. I think it was really, really, really close regardless the path for victory is 100% there for Jasmine. You're not going to have me argue all that much. If this really comes down to it's a, uh, you know, Cavs, my girl. She's fighting in my country. And I, I, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't have a ticket. So I took a little bit of the, the plus 330 earlier in the week. I've got CLV, bro. So I've already won. Um, I imagine you're going to pick double uh, Jasmine, double J, Jasmine, Jasuda Vicious, because... Um, you were talking about her being the best Canadian of all time or something earlier on in the show. Yeah, I was definitely the greatest fighter of all time, not necessarily Canadian. But no, listen, she's a fan favorite here. And what I mean by she's the best Canadian fighter, because Paul obviously is laughing at that, or his tone, his tone is very snarky, if I may say so myself, is like when you look at rankings and how many Canadian fighters are ranked in their division. <laughs> almost none of them, almost none of them. Jasmine is a contender within her division. Tracy Cortez is a contender in the division. Jasmine had a close fight with her, took her down twice, landed 77 significant strikes, lost the fight, but gave her a fight. In terms of ranking, she would be one of the higher-ranked Canadian fighters. I don't think anybody can say otherwise, because she is. So, good to see her. Second fight on the card, we're going to be a banger. They would certainly get $50,000 if Jasmine just decided not to wrestle. She wanted to stand with Cachoeira. Cachoeira would be so willing, so willing to stand with you and just throw bombs for 15 minutes. Both of them would be bleeding. The crowd would, you know, you would say they'd be going wild, but because it's so early in the prelims, I don't know. There might not be anybody there. You never know. Canadian fans aren't like that. I hope it's packed second fight of the night. But yeah, you never know. But it would be a wild brawl. It would absolutely be a wild brawl. I would still favor Jesse DeVisius, but again, her style of hanging out in the pocket and standing in front of you and going one for one, you know, allowing you to hit her to return fire, that would be what Cachoeira has been looking I for her entire it. career. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm praying fight. for. I want the crowd to be completely jacked up. Jasmine to be like, let's just go to war with Zombie Girl. I mean, that's we want we want the uh, yeah, we possible. want the game plan that Ariana Lipsky brought to the table i don't think it's very likely i think the path is very very clear for for double j um the takedowns and the pain 15 minutes of pain i'm expecting it at this point yeah yeah that's it it's 15 minutes of just you know putting that pace on her and i think that's what jazz does great and she's at a niagara top team which for my money's worth best gym in canada uh chris prickard her boyfriend head coach a phenomenal wrestler and she has a wrestling base when you look at her in the contender series four takedowns over julia Palastri. she came over to the ufc upset win in her debut over kay hansen because of those two takedown wins or those two takedowns gabriel fernandez four takedowns miranda maverick another underdog win a girl with a perceived wrestling advantage, she took her down. Not only did she take her down, she reversed position twice to end up on top off Maverick's takedowns. Mm-hmm. So the wrestling is certainly there. And then Tracy Cortez, Tracy Cortez has like two brothers that were state champion wrestlers from Arizona. She's a phenomenal wrestler. Oh, phenomenal. She's a solid wrestler, uh, especially for, you know, women's MMA this division. Jasmine won the wrestling. She got the takedowns. She gave her the second round, especially. She's coming forward. She's making it a fight. Again, she lost the fight, but she made it a fight. She was continuously going forward. She was continuously trying to mix it up. She fights to the best of her abilities. But in all of these fights, 
she mixes up the wrestling. The fight with Nat uh, Natalia Silva is the one fight where she doesn't get any takedowns with. Natalia Silva turned out to be an absolute brick wall. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't take her down. I get it. The game plan in all these fights is scrap in spots, get them to overcommit, get them to be wanting to throw down with you. That makes in that tank down. Ride them up against the cage. Make them, you know, carry your weight. It's a wrestling-heavy gym. Game plan's generally wrestling-heavy. And she's so willing to throw down that she'll throw down. But eventually set up those takedowns. And to me, that's the difference maker. So because of that, yeah, I think she'll utilize both things to beat Jasmine Jastabesius. And it might not get $50,000 for fight of the night, but she'll probably have three to five more fights in her career longevity-wise from not just brawling with Zombie Girl, which we all know would be an awesome time. I think she's smarter than that and mixes in the wrestling and takes a clear-cut decision or a late stoppage. And worst case, worst case Ontario for you there, bud, is uh, they do go tit for tat. They do have an absolute war for the fans. And then it's early enough on the card you can just rebuild after Z Zombie Girl yeah, gets the fair, gets fair. the second round KO. Um, probably not going to happen, but you know, I she's like, I had to be there. I had to be there for Zombie Girl fighting in my country. I see the pass, obviously, for for Jasmine. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Jasmine does decide to have a bit of a brawl here tries to go for some bonus money. It's going to be probably pretty hard. It's really hard if you're, like, early on these cards to get recognized for being fight of the night. It really doesn't happen all that often. So she would be wise to uh, show off that wrestling um, because that gap in Priscilla Cachoeira's game is uh, extremely, extremely exploitable. Uh, I'm expecting to lose but hoping for the best. All right, and finally we got uh, Malcolm Gordon taking on Jimmy the Brick Flick. Tell him the Brick sent you. Uh, Malcolm Gordon is a minus 190 favorite. Jimmy Flick can be had for plus 165. This one was like closer to a pick em like a week or so ago. And I understand. It's like Jimmy Flick seems like pretty one-dimensional. He's like a sub or bust kind of guy. And frankly, Malcolm Gordon, his chin has been very, very questionable. But he's like a decent jiu-jitsu practitioner in his own right. Probably has a speed advantage. Probably has a technical striking advantage. The Brick really hasn't shown us all that much. His, this comeback to the UFC seems, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. We haven't seen anything like since he's really came back that would like lead you to believe it's like, okay, this guy's back for like, you know, to to bring every, like that, that he's like reinvigorated or whatever. He retired, disappeared. Charles Johnson fight was ugly. I mean, Alessandro Costa is an absolute brick wall. I am not going to be getting to a minus 190 on Malcolm Gordon. I feel like if I was going to bet him, I missed like the minus 120s. I missed that number earlier in the week. I will pick him for the purposes of this show. Uh, just because the flick or flick hasn't really shown us anything outside of a grappling game. And I feel like Gal Gordon hung in there um, against what's his face? Little Russian kid. Uh, Makayev until he got armbarred in round three. Like, he was winning that fight. Um, that's a much, much more difficult opponent, obviously, than Jimmy Flick. Much better takedowns coming from Makayev, everything like that. I think the the line correction is accurate because of Gordon's chin. Not that I don't, not that I feel great about, like, Flick exploiting it. 
but it keeps me off of a bet at minus 190. I've got enough bets, enough action on this card that I'm not going to force a bet here. Malcolm Gordon will be the pick for me, though. What about you? Yeah, so it's not like Jimmy Flicks ever knocked anybody out, so Malcolm Gordon probably doesn't have to worry about that. Flip side to that, see, both guys just can't take it. Malcolm Gordon, all of his career losses, he's getting knocked out. I've been submitted uh, by Albazi, but he got rocked right before that. It's getting not that good. Jimmy Flick, oh, man, all of his pro losses are inside the distance as well. He's been knocked out six times. The difference is, is like, Jimmy Flick's never knocked anybody out, whereas Malcolm Gordon has. So if they stay standing, I give the advantage to Malcolm Gordon. Mm-hmm. They hit the ground. They're actually both Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. So it's hard to say that Jimmy Flick, who's got some phenomenal grappling up his back sleeve, like that he would maul Malcolm Gordon. I don't know. It definitely seems like it's a close fight, certainly on paper. But I think this is a Jimmy Flick pick, man. I think this is underdog. If you they want to give me more plus money, then that's what I want. I don't want to bet at even money, but two to one underdog Jimmy Flick. Sign me up for that. Um, this is the way I look at this one, right? Uh, we'll start with Malcolm Gordon, I suppose, because he's the he's he's the favorite, right? He's got a long history of losing these fights early in the first round when he gets caught, loses. Tough regional scene career. Jumps into the UFC against Miral Bazi, smoked. Fights Sumaderji, smoke, all fine. Beats Francisco Figueiredo. That's his first win. Super low output, gets a couple takedowns, gives up a couple takedowns, ends up winning the unanimous decision. He gets Dennis Bondar. Bondar takes him down, and then Bondar, he broke Bondar's arm clean, puts some pressure on it. Nice little win over an absolute scrub. Makayev, top guy, Jake Hadley smokes him out, no problem. Of all those fights, though, Paul, he'd be rocking a 9% takedown defense. He cannot stop takedowns. He not a wrestler. He's got good Muay Thai. Started out with Adrenaline MMA, Mark Hominick, Jesse Ronson, Sam Stout, Chris Horidecki, uh, Chris Clements. Those guys could bang. Striker, right? Then eventually he says, you know what? I'm getting knocked out in fights. I need a plan B. And he goes and he hangs out at George Brito, Toronto BJJ, and gets awarded his BJJ black belt. At no point did he wrestle. At no point has he shored up his wrestling. He cannot wrestle. If you want to stand with him, he can strike. If you want to roll around on the ground with him, he can grapple. He cannot stuff the takedown. Jimmy Flick, meanwhile, he's live or die by the takedown. His fight with Nate Smith on the Contender Series. He went two for three, and he had how many submission attempts? I guess seven submission attempts on Nate Smith once he hit the ground, right? His fight with Cody Durden. Cody Durden's solid wrestler, former state champion out of Georgia. So he pulls up the flying triangle. Charles Johnson, Charles Johnson's got an excellent get-up game. He took Charles Johnson down, and then eventually got punched up. Alessandro Costa... Is it brick wall? The guy's hard to take down. So none of those fights have been particularly going his way, at least certainly the last two, because he can't get the takedown. And if he doesn't have the takedown, he is rendered completely ineffective. He has no other game than get the takedown and, and, and grapple. That's it. Throw up submissions. That's it. He's very crafty on the ground. He's solid with his top control. He's good off his back. The fight has to be on the ground. Now those guys can dictate, I don't want to go to the ground with you. Malcolm Gordon cannot. He's going to get in on a single leg. He's going to trip him up. He's going to end up on top. From that point, he's not going to overexert himself spending too much energy because he loves jiu-jitsu. He loves grappling. If it's a grappling match, he will not get tired. If it's a striking battle and, and you're trying to take him down and you're dragging him to deep waters and you're dog walking him, then he'll get tired. Jiu-jitsu match, no. So he will get the takedown. He will set up top control. Gordon will not like it. He will either choke out Gordon, which is certainly on the table. 100% a Jimmy Flick submission win is live. If not... 
he will win the rounds from getting the takedowns and being on top for the large majority of it. Gordon doesn't have a great scramble game. When he gets taken down, for the most part, he accepts position. If you have no grappling, if you are an unknown Ukrainian fighter with a padded record like Dennis Bondar, yeah, maybe he gets back up. Maybe if, you know, Davidson's Figueredo's very untalented older brother is on top of him, yeah, maybe he gets back up. I think he's his younger brother, actually. Very untalented, though. Maybe he gets back up. Jimmy Flick's a legitimately good grappler, Paul. It says he can't take the punchy or the kicky. You need to take that away from him, right? And that 9% takedown defense from Malcolm Gordon is going to creep up and bite him in the ass. And it's going to bite him in the ass on Saturday night when Jimmy Flick takes him down. So uh, interested in the Flick by submission prop, interested in the Flick straight up. Is Flick the most trustworthy guy going? No. But a lot of these Canadians, if they don't win outright, they might get a greasy split. This thing ain't going to decision. It's not. So Flick will take the judges out of it. And do what he's got to do. And my last thing is, because I'm, 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 I'm a little harsh on Flick at times. I got Jimmy Flick on Facebook. Had him for a walk. I tried to book him for some fights back in the day when he was still in the regional scene, right? And, you know, he makes it to the UFC. Never thought in a million years he would end up on the Contender Series. Never thought. He, he's not that guy. And when he was on the Contender Series, he was a plus, plus money underdog. Goes out, pulls off the win over Nate Smith. Debuts against Cody Durden. Again, you know, this this guy's always been an underdog. He shouldn't he shouldn't be there. Then he ends up just retiring. He beats Cody Durden and he retires. This is as good as it was ever going to be for him. He takes a full-time job with a pension and a retirement fund and says, hey, I won in the UFC. I got a $50,000 submission in the night bonus. I got a cool picture of me hitting a flying triangle. Uh, I got a bunch of followers on my social media. I'm good. Retires. At that point, he's checked out. Then he realizes working sucks. And... You know, you're never going to make $50,000 in one night ever, ever again where people are screaming and frothing at the mouth. And it's like you miss that adrenaline rush. And you're like, oh, I want to get back into it. So he, so he starts buying his own base cards, like UFC cards. Get buys his own base cards. He signs them himself. And he goes to flea markets and sells them. You know, just like Virgil from, from the WWF. Just like these old past wrestlers from the pro wrestling days selling their own merch at these little flea markets to make $100 on a Sunday. Like, it, you almost feel for him. That he jumps into that Charles Jordan, or that Charles Johnson fight in awful shape. And again, I'm like, I'm on social media, posts every day on Facebook. He's in bad shape when he takes that fight. Takes Johnson down, Johnson gets back up, and you can see right away, it's like, oh, Flick is tired. He had better cardio against Costa, but Costa's just too physically strong, a very solid striker. And dude, did you not watch his fight with Amir Al-Bazi? This guy's got some solid wrestling, right? Solid takedown defense. So Flick's out of his element. At that point, it's like, dude, screw the flea markets, screw the job, screw the pension. And literally all he does is train every like second of the day. And when I mean every second of the day, it's like he's at the gym, session, session, session. And then when he's not at the gym, it's like, check out this wrist exercise I can do to strengthen this. Check out this jaw exercise I can do. Like, like his entire life has been, I need to win. His job's on the line right? Your whole dream, all this, it's, it's all going to be gone. You'll be back to that desk job. You'll be back to your 401k, which is not a bad thing. It's just the dream is about to be taken away from him unless he balls up and makes it happen. He knows it. He's coming in highly motivated. Flick's going to pull it out. So what are we going to do? Take favors the whole way? And when I say take favors the whole way, I want to, I want to expressively say the live underdogs, you know, I don't want to say Barry was a live underdog, but Arnold Allen is a live underdog. Uh, I 
guess I'd say, oh, yeah, Raquel Pennington, certainly a live underdog. I didn't go with them. I didn't pull the trigger on them. At some point, you're going to have to pull the trigger on one of these ones. Flick at this number, underdog worth taking. Yeah, his sub prop is like plus 345, but it's like early in the week and like there's only one book. We've talked about it multiple times. It's like there's only one book that actually has props on that one. They tend to like not give out the best props early in the week because they don't want to get beaten down. They don't want to. So most people generally like see that as like a barometer of where the market will go. Um, so yeah, I don't love that to be perfectly honest, but um yeah. Still, he's got, I mean, he's got 14 I, submission wins. I ain't right? betting. I ain't, I ain't betting Gordon uh, as a chalk favorite. I will tell you that much. Like zero interest whatsoever in doing that. Um, and you bring up some good points about Flick's like wrestling abilities and you know his historical wrestling abilities. It'd be an interesting fight if he can get the fight to the mat. Obviously, he's got great jujitsu. Uh, look through his Instagram while you were talking there a little bit. Seems like he's been at the gym. Always a good sign. Um, but yeah, we'll see. He's been hard at the gym. That Nate Smith kid he beat on the Contender Series was a junior Olympian in Greco-Roman wrestling. Flick took him down twice. Flick That's wrestled big. in high school. And Flick is physically strong, right? He can take a punch is the reason he's not a very good fighter. That's the reason, right? The, the kid can wrestle and the kid can sure as shit grapple. That was almost and four years ago, though. Almost four yeah, years ago. Well, at least he hasn't taken five more knockout losses. Because honestly, if he had he fought consistently over that time, he'd be getting knocked out lots. But he's taking the break, you know, refreshing up a little bit. Absolutely got smoked in his last two fights. But yeah, again, with Malcolm Gordon, what's Malcolm Gordon's last knockout win? Um, uh, do you want me to look that up? No, I got it. Because Bondar was a broken arm, so it's not like he knocked him out. Yeah, he knocked out. Oh, shit. I should have looked this up. His last knockout win was seven years ago, but the guy's name was Michael Jordan, dog. Oh, oh man. The goat. Oh, I done screwed up. Yeah, oh, I done screwed up. You're screwed, bro. It's over. Yeah, it's all over for you. Abort. Good. That's not good. Abort. He's got four knockout wins in his entire career, and his entire career spans 12 years, right? 12 years and almost 20 fights. No, yeah, 20 fights. Over 20. This is his 22nd fight. He's got four knockout wins. Two of those came within his first three pro fights over a decade ago. So, like, yeah, he actually has good Muay Thai. He's got slick little Muay Thai. But he realized the same thing as Flick. It's like, man, I can't take a punch. So he switched to the grappling. Whereas, like, Flick was like, oh, I can never take a punch. So he's always been grappling. And if you want to give me grappler versus grappler, again, it's who's going to establish top control and be on top. Flick's got the wrestling advantage. That, that, that is a huge difference maker to me. So... I understand Canadian's taking the money, and I think Canadian's going to have a real good night on this card. And on a personal level, I really like Malcolm Gore. He's a very nice guy, solid guy. You'd like to see him win, but that doesn't sound all like these it. Canadians, all of these Canadians are not going to win. All the favorites are not going to win. I'm getting a two for one right here. I'm getting an underdog who's an American. So yeah, obviously that's not how this game works. But you get what I'm saying. It's like you you got to take a couple shots. I'm super tempted to take a shot on one of those other ones we talked about, whether it be a Raquel Pennington. Or whether it be maybe an Arnold Allen, I could have some, you know, a little bit, a little bit there I could be interested in. But for the most part, yeah, not a whole lot of the other ones. My dogs are Jimmy Flick and Sam Patterson, and I want to wait till weigh-ins. Pennington, I honestly could see myself going in that direction, especially when we talked about that Riddle thing. Game changer! Uh, yeah, yeah. Violent card, fun card. Hopefully, we can make it a profitable card. At the very least, hit our top two lines. But let's go beyond that. Let's hit a third line. Let's hit a fourth line. Let's. 
Hit a PRP shit. Let's do it. So I'm ready for it, Paul. Yeah. All right. So as of 5.45 p.m. in the one true time zone, which is Atlantic time, um, I've got uh, Curtis by KO plus 265. I've got Cab Moneyline plus 330. Under one and a half in the city versus Tavares fight minus 106. Uh, Evloev by decision minus 117. Uh, Pennington plus 145 on the money line. And Malat by decision, just a little sprink, plus 425. Hit him with the PRP code. We're going to go with Sean Strickland. Um, Mara Buena Silva. I could flip that one at weigh-ins, but as the time of this, which it's 446 Eastern Standard Time, Paul, the only real time zone. <laughs> We're going to go with Mike Malat. We're going to go with Chris Curtis. We're going to go with Mavzar Evloev, Brad Gatona, Charles Jordan, Sari City, Jillian Robertson, Sam Patterson, dog number one, Jasmine Jasmine Devisius, and Jimmy Flick, dog number two. Again, could flip and force a dog number three, but instead of trying to like force an underdog, I think I'd rather just maybe chase some of these props that are going to get plus money, close to plus money. And in terms of like some of the guys that I think we're going to anchor in on this week, guys and girls, you know, Jasmine Jasmine VC is going to be higher up. I think we go with Charles Jordan for sure, higher up. Brad Katona is going to be higher up. Mike Malott would be higher up. Uh, normally, uh, I'll try to squeeze in if you really like one side of the main event, but this main event's tight, and I, especially because the live betting opportunity seems a lot better than this pre-fight betting opportunity if you're taking Sean Strickland. Probably drop this thing down to, like, the fourth line. Regardless, wait until weigh-ins, see what they look like. Some of these people are going to be sick. Some of these people are going to be missing weight. Did I mention the kid that's fighting Siri City? He's a bad weight cutter, dude. Uh, the last time they fought, he missed weight by 0.3 pounds, mm-hmm. and he missed weight on the regional scene twice more before that fight on the Contender Series. So him coming to Canada and cutting weight and making a tough weight class for him, you know, you might you're gonna find out some stuff about them at weigh-in. So maybe wait to lock them in. Unless yeah. a line swinging, you know, you got the underdog and you're starting to lose value, then maybe lock it in. I, I'm happy I waited on Flick and Malcolm because at 50-50, that's what it is. Like, when the bookmaker lined this fight up, they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. And then it shifted, you know, 90 points in the wrong direction as far as I'm concerned. Uh, shit, glad I waited on that one because I'd feel foolish otherwise. Maybe if the market keeps moving, Cody, maybe I'll jump jump on board with you. But we'll see. We'll wait until weigh-ins at this point. Like, I've, I've locked in what I want for now. Um, anyway... That is, I think there's a week off next week, and then there's like four weeks on after this week. Yeah, have the pay per view in Canada. I'm more or less saying this for like producer Megan, who always asks me every single week, like whether we have a UFC card. Anyway, that is it for us this week. We'll see you in two weeks. Uh, That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show, all of that type of stuff. For producer Megan, for Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying. Goodbye and go Bills. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.